Lionel Messi has done it yet again. He has lifted the League's Cup trophy alongside this Inter Miami squad, which was in last place prior to the tournament mm. happening. Fast forward seven matches. Inter Miami are champions after defeating Nashville SC in an absolutely ridiculous penalty shootout and saw Drake Callender guide his team to victory. Inter Miami are League's Cup champions and Lionel Messi becomes the most decorated player in football history with 44 trophies in his goddamn cabinet. It almost feels like he was destined to win this tournament, bro. It really does with the crazy goal scoring spree he was going on in this tournament, as well as just the crazy moments he was providing on a consistent basis. But Nashville did not make it easy for him this time around. What was your take on this game? How do you feel, brother? Yeah, this final in Nashville was the perfect way to end what has been a massively entertaining tournament. This final in Nashville, Nashville against Inter Miami was end to end from the start. And we even said it within like 10 minutes. We were like, oh, Nashville is actually a viable opponent for this Inter Miami side. And we, were, we weren't even considering the stat that Miami have scored before the 15th minute when Messi starts the game. We weren't even considering that. Nashville actually showed up the way that we had hoped that they would and put on a goddamn performance. I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of here, obviously taking Miami all the way to penalties, but just I think the stat of the game is Nashville probably played perfectly against Messi, at least as far as they were concerned. They limited, they limited him to only three shots, but the GOAT only needs one. <laughs> and what a banger yeah. from Lionel Messi to make it 1-0. And honestly, up until that point, Nashville, I'm not going to say they were controlling the game, but they definitely had stunned Miami. They definitely had kept the ball a lot more than any other opponent that Miami had faced. And I think Miami actually looked a little confused on what to do offensively. Messi was getting double teamed, and I think it was working somewhat effectively. And then from there, Taylor was, you know, getting pressured. So was Joseph Martinez. And even Busquets was actually, you know, getting hit a couple of times. So I thought Nashville approached the game defensively almost perfectly. But dude, how about that goal, man? How do you find that space, bro? Yeah, yeah. How do you find that Just, space, man? And at that moment, I was like, dude, this is what we've been seeing all tournament long, man. Low-key, after that FC Dallas game, I was like, I, honestly, I don't know if anybody can beat them. You know, we approached every game hoping that they could match up against them. I think Philadelphia was one of them. But we always had thought, like, look, if Messi can beat any team the way that they're beating them, like they did Dallas, man, I don't think they're truly beatable. Nashville tried their darndest from it really did but it was just another in a weird way even though it's only been a month a vintage Miami performance <laughs> man, where there's always going to be a chance that they score yeah. truly I, I really do wonder when is going to be their first game where they do not score and Messi's on the pitch for you know 90 minutes yeah. I wonder when that game is going to be because th that'll be a landmark yeah. for that defense whoever faces them bro but yeah, I mean, after that, it was just still continual end-to-end -end Nashville, especially in that second half, pressing even harder, just going gung-ho offensively, and they finally get, off of a set piece, a goal to equalize through Fafa Pico. I think completely deserved at that point. Nashville, Miami 1-1. Even though there was about like 15 minutes left, I was actually hoping to go to Pens, man, because I thought Nashville had done enough to just be like, all right, we tied this team. Let's just go to pens. But, you know, it's interesting because Nashville, even with like five, seven minutes left, they were still going at it, bro. 
they could. I think they could sense that Miami were, were themselves going for mm -hmm. penalties. So Nats were like, fuck it. Let's just try and take advantage here because going to penalties literally is a lottery. So why not just win it now? But what's crazy is that the biggest moment of the game at the end went to Campana for Inter-Miami. We got to talk about it. We got to talk about it, man. Coming off of the, I think it was Sergio Busquets in his own third, sending a long ball over to Campana, who absolutely shimmies off the defender, uses his body to create space. He's one-on-one -on -one with the keeper and decides to go with a very interesting chip approach <laughs> yeah. that derives him from the keeper but doesn't put him on towards goal and instead kind of derails him a little bit he stumbles he skips the defender gets back involved with the play kind of kind of dissuades him a little bit until finally campana gives his everything dies for the ball and hits the fucking post man an absolutely ridiculous play i don't think i've ever i don't think i've ever seen a play quite like that that's played out in such manner and campana is seen laying down on his back with his hands over his head like what did i just fucking miss <laughs> a golden opportunity bro an absolutely golden opportunity to win the game in regulation be responsible for Messi lifting this trophy to back your Argentine compatriot. And he misses it. He yeah. misses it. But my goodness, how close the margins were of this match and how things could have gone either way, dude. At the end of the day, it goes to penalties. But it was via that crazy, crazy opportunity at the very end. Without being too harsh, Campana should have finished that, man. It was one-on-one. -on -one. And I hated the angle he took, man. You know, he started off obviously very wide, so I understand that he has to at some point go central. But he didn't try and get a favorable angle to just get it past Panico. And instead, again, like you said, he went with a weird dink option. Mm -hmm. And he should have just tried to slip it underneath Panico, or at least to his side, man. Hated the approach from Campana. At the end of the day, what that told me, he didn't want it, man. Like, you're in a final, man. Come on. Score and it's over. You're a hero. Yeah, yeah. You get to lift the trophy right then and there. Yeah. Messi gives you an extra, <laughs> Messi gives you an extra like $5,000 just because yeah. like, you know what? Have yeah. some fun here. Yeah. Thank you so much. I don't have to deal with penalties. Yeah. But like, come on, man. But at the end of the day, I understand it's difficult. Yeah. It's a final. It's a very stressful situation. But I just think he went with such a poor approach. There are crazy parallels, though, between like a crazy last-minute play happening in the League's Cup, a final involving Messi, and that same Colomuani opportunity against Argentina in the final minutes as well. Obviously, the keeper didn't get a save here, but the sheer drama of it felt very similar to me in that moment of just like, holy shit, after the moment passed, I was like... What the fuck just happened? Yeah. Did they just have a genuine opportunity at winning this fucking match? It was a very similar situation, and both of them ended up leading two penalties, bro. <laughs> Dude, I, I had the exact same kind of revelation in the sense that, like, that singular play that we saw with Campana and Panico, that is so resemblant of this entire League's Cup, man. We've seen some crazy wacky shit truly yeah, yeah. it has been a bizarre but in the most entertaining and positive ways of a tournament that i've you know seen in a while uh, uh, you know excluding the world cup this least cup has just been pure chaos. entertainment and pure chaos it's like college basketball bro i keep coming back to it. yeah, it's like march perfect, madness perfect. it's just absolutely fucking chaotic and it makes for some of the wildest moments i wish we could have seen a highlight reel at the end of this tournament just kind of culminating and bringing in all these crazy opportunities because bro we saw bangers after bangers after bangers we saw amazing goalkeeping saves we saw incredible own goals jesus christ fine leading the fucking puskas for own goals good lord this fc dallas kid that scored the own goal against messi jesus christ ridiculous 
fouls, red cards, everything, bro. Everything. This tournament has had everything outside of the controversy, outside of the things that people talk about in the media. I think as a whole, this tournament was a success, bro, because like Campana's opportunity, we just got incredible TV overall for an entire month straight, and it just made for crazy chaos and drama, man. Absolute chaos. And, and Miami ended up getting the win, but you know, to take it off messy a little bit, I am really glad that the man of the match went to Drake Calendar, man. Yes, sir. I think he has been truly a genuine standout for this Miami side ever since they played their first game in Leafs Cup against Cruz Azul. Even when Messi wasn't on the pitch, Calendar kept them yeah, in it against Cruz Azul, and then Messi came on and did the rest. What a duo, and <laughs> one that I just did not foresee even in the slightest. Yeah. So I'm really happy that he's hit the forefront, man. And you know, we were even talking about it. And the final, like, you know, hopefully Calendar gets at least some sort of notoriety with the U.S. men's national team. I'm not saying he plays. I'm not saying he's even the backup. But, you know, if he can get in some camps, maybe get in some more friendlies, like, I think he's incredibly deserving of it. And he proved himself to be a very, very good shot You're stopper. Right, You're right. No, you could say that for so many different players on Inter Miami. Taylor upping his level. His, his clinical ability has looked incredible since Messi arrived. Defensively, I think Kamal Miller and what's his what's his uh is oh, the name uh, of the guy that accompanies him? Kritsov. Kritsov. <laughs> Looking great out there, yeah, man. Honestly, that whole defensive line was great. Kramashki has been playing incredible ball mm. ever since Messi arrived. Joseph Martinez kind of finally finding his form after the injury he experienced this last year, finally getting back into that rhythm and providing really good minutes for this Miami team. Even Campana at points was looking solid and positive, yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah. And lastly, a guy like DeAndre Yedlin, who at one point captained this Inter Miami side. And I don't know if you saw, but and I'll fast forward a little bit. Once Inter Miami won the trophy and they went to celebrate and lift it, Messi actually handed the trophy over to Yedlin first because he wanted the team captain, the prior team captain before his arrival, to lift the trophy and celebrate alongside this Inter Miami squad. I think all in all, the whole team stepped up like no other in a very unexpected way. And it really does make me wonder, dude, how would this team have performed if Messi and the Barca squad and gang had never arrived? Is it truly credited to what Messi's arrival and impact does to this team, bro? Because I think the Barcelona Banditos had a genuine impact on this team and brought them all up to a level that sees them lift the League's Cup tournament at the end of the day. And just to kind of piggyback off of what you're saying, Taylor was absolutely incredible. I want to focus in on Kromaski very quickly. Um, Kramaski, if you're, if you're, if you're watching this, <laughs> I, I, I just want to put out a plea right now. I know you have Argentine descent. I'm very fully aware of that, but represent the U S please, Bro. please. I'm your biggest fan ever since you played in that first game against Cruz. So I was like, okay, this kid's got something. He's got something. Yeah, yeah. And then once you started playing with Messi, I was like, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm an immediate fan. You can show the people the text that I've sent yes. in our WhatsApp yes. where I'm just like, hey, put in Kramaski. When, when he got benched he got in benched. FC Dallas, I was like, that's a mistake from Martino. Yeah. That's a huge mistake. And what did he do? He came on, he scored a goal, and then he scored the last penalty to actually win it against FC Dallas. So, you know, look, I, I know Argentina is a great country. It's beautiful. Yep. They have amazing players, yep. but your really U.S. Nice through and through, and we have a great program we have a gr absolutely great program coming up we have copa america host we have us uh, we have 2026 world cup host so i just want to put that out there benjamin kromaski man you know just Bo. consider the us that's Bo. all i'm gonna say i looked at his instagram today every post he makes is in spanish bro <sighs> <laughs> it's and then it's like comments of like the future eight of argentina like on the bottom oh, yeah yeah uh, bro 
but it's crazy because before the tournament started, before Messi arrived, he would have been destined to be in America's midfield. I think so. And I think the Messi influence, and I'm already seeing articles about it, is playing a big role in him deciding where he's going to go in the future. But here's the thing. He hasn't decided yet. And I literally read, read an article today that said uh, he's aware that it's a big decision it's that he has to make. Huge. And he's essentially just prolonging it as much as he can because <laughs> I think it's very, very tight here in this dual national race. I think it's going to be Argentina. I think with the mm. fact that he ended up playing alongside Lionel Messi, that's like getting God's blessing at yeah, one that's point, huge, bro. That's, huge, that's, that's, huge. that's the problem. And then realistically, I do wonder if he can find a way to kind of infiltrate the USA's midfield because I think USA has a really good midfield, the best midfield in CONCACAF right now. I wonder if there's a role for him there specifically that he can actually crack into. I think he could, especially knowing that, for example, players like Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney, usually one of them has some sort of knock. So if we have the perfect midfield three of McKinney, Musa, and Adams, I think Kramaski, very soon, I'm not saying immediately, but within the next two years, could be a very strong fourth selection. And if one of them are injured, boom, he's already starting. I think Kramaski has a lot of potential. He's still very young, as you just said. So I don't think he could crack in, into any of the starting positions, not even close, to be completely honest. But the potential that I see for him, I think he could add to the USA depth insanely well bro mm -hmm. and i think we could really genuinely use that because outside of our starting midfield three i think it's pretty open man i i really do i know we have some you know some stalwarts that have always been good in the system like kellen acosta for example but you know when i look at the potential that kramaski has i think he's leaps and bounds above a player like acosta so if he's getting minutes then i think kramaski eventually definitely will and you know i mean when you look at the argentina situation He'd have to be competing with what? Enzo Fernandez, Rodrigo De Paul, Alexi McAllister, maybe, mm -hmm. if, you, if you consider him as mm -hmm. part of like an attacking midfield three. Mm -hmm. Paredes. That, yeah, Paredes, too, yeah. as like a, like a fourth rotational option. Yeah. I think it'd be harder to get in the Argentina squad. And rightfully so. The squad is stacked. They're incredibly talented. So I'm just saying, you know, he's already born here. He's raised here. So, you know, why not continue that and, you know, actually represent the USA, especially since... I think they're setting up. I think I think we're gearing up for something very special in these next couple of years. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Game goes to penalties, and I think we see one of the most. I mean, dramatic penalty shootouts that we've caught in a long, long time. At least in the final. Yeah, in the final. I think what it was eleven penalty kicks each, right? Because it ended up going to the keepers to yep. decide it. Drake Calendar banging the ball into the back of the net on his opportunity. But then Pinico stepping up and getting it saved by yeah. Drake Callender, and that's what ultimately decided the penalty shootout. But throughout that entire experience, man, I was actually very, very tense, bro. Nashville was nearly out of the game within the first five shots, but luckily Uyua had a penalty saved by Panico in that fifth opportunity, <laughs> kept it alive, kept it going, and eventually became sudden death. Crazy, dramatic finish. But what stood out to me, bro, was the happiness, the tension, the involvement that Messi had throughout this entire penalty shootout, paralleling the same images that I saw of him when he was going through that Argentina-France penalty shootout just six months ago, man. Yeah. Another crazy shootout once again. Messi is ecstatic, celebrating with this team, and Inter-Miami wins the tournament. After this dramatic final, I'm, I'm left with two things. One... And it's been a theme that has gone on since the World Cup. It's how inevitable Lionel Messi is. It, it truly, I'm going to state it, even though it's the obvious. 
He came to the worst team in the MLS. Yeah. And then he just won a tournament where every single MLS team and Liga MX team was involved. He just won it. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And that game against Cruz Azul was the perfect way to foreshadow how this would end for Inter Miami. Without Messi, the first 45 minutes, they look bad, man. Cruz Azul choked on their end. And if it wasn't for Drake Callender, Cruz Azul would have had like a 2-3-0 lead or a 3-1 lead by halftime, bro. But it wasn't. You know, the Cruz Azul themselves have been struggling, so they didn't get the goals that they should have. And Messi comes on in the second half and completely changes the entire signature of that game. And that right there, you bottle it, encapsulate it. That energy has just continued on all the way to this final, ultimately winning it. And that energy has been around since Messi's entire existence when he first stepped foot on a football, fit, a football pitch. It's so incredibly impressive. And it just really makes me think that I'm just like, damn, dude, like what other player could do this? And I'm just now... 10, 20, 40 years ago to be able to come into a new league on the worst team and just immediately win, to have an impact or just look at that Cruz Azul game, have a buzzer beater, if you will, mm -hmm. just to change. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely incredible. And then, you know, the second thing that I'm left with is just a league's cup overall. You know, where does this really go? I really do wonder. I'm really curious to see the future of this project what is the format going to change at all? Are we going to see games in Mexico? Is it just always going to be in the States? Is the perspectives of how the tournament is approached, is it going to change? Are we going to try and make it to where the Liga MX teams are more in form, like season-wise? Are we going to try and schedule it at a different period? Are we going to invite different teams? Are we going to invite South American clubs to this type of tournament? Is it going to be more selective? You know, I, there's so many different avenues that CONCACAF, and I guess more specifically the MLS, can go with this tournament, man, that honestly, it gets me very excited because I'll say overall, even though there's a lot of controversy, apparently, you know, for, especially for the Mexican population, I thought that this tournament was a huge success, a massive one. So I think we should definitely keep this going because, you know, as I said in a previous episode, I think this is one of the most ambitious football club projects I think that's out there right now. And I think the U.S. or MLS has a very, very unique opportunity to just keep it going, to build it into something even bigger. So I'm really curious to see what they do with it, though, because, you know, maybe it is something that just dies out and they're just like, ah, you know, let's just let's just do CONCACAF Champions League. I really do wonder what they're going to do, but I really like the relationship that we're building with Liga MX because I think it only improves both ends. As we already said before, this has been one of the most entertaining tournaments I've seen any MLS or Liga MX club like participate in, bro. So yeah, I'm just really curious to see where this goes. My takeaway is, bro, I'm left frustrated. Yeah, I'm left real frustrated, bro, because I see a picture of Messi holding the League's Cup trophy and holding the best player of the tournament trophy. You see that photo, bro? <laughs> yeah. It looked incredible, man. <laughs> just yet again, Messi dominating a tournament, putting his stamp on it, and lifting the trophy at the end of the day. But I'm frustrated, bro. I'm frustrated because so much of the discourse, so much of the commentary I'm seeing around Messi involving this tournament are things like, and more specifically, I'm talking about things I see on the internet, man, mm, are yeah. things like tournaments been scripted for Messi, tournaments been given to Messi. Same comments, same discourse I saw six months ago during the World Cup when people 
you know, Argentina and penalties. Talking about the incredible coincidence of the amount of times that Argentina got a penalty call for them in their journey to lifting a World Cup. And I'm left frustrated, bro. I'm left frustrated because there's so many times in this tournament where I saw true reasons for why this was the opposite. Why this wouldn't have been a scripted tournament for Messi. Moments in which he was asked to provide and deliver. Otherwise, Inter, Inter Miami would see themselves either lose the match or tie it. And we saw that multiple times with how he had a free kick at the very end of the game. If he misses that shit, it ends up as a tied game. They go to penalties. We don't know what the fuck happens. Or for example, the FC Dallas game where they're down 4-3. to three, He still has to make a fucking free kick just to tie it, bro. <laughs> just to tie it. If he misses that, they're still down a fucking goal. The things that he's done back-to-back -back time. Campana missing the insane opportunity he had at the very end of the game. If the if this tournament was scripted for him, that shot would have gone in, bro. What the fuck are we doing risking it by going into penalties? I feel like so many times in both the World Cup and the League's Cup, we've seen moments where it's been true moments of genius. True moments of Messi stepping up and showing why he's deserving of the GOAT title, why he's deserving of just the credit and love that we give him on this podcast. But time and time again, I hear it be belittled by comments like, script a tournament. Mm. Oh, he was always destined to win it. The rest were in favor of him. This was all set up so Messi could win it. I just, I've gotten to the point now where I just, I just, I, I don't get it anymore, man. In the past, I used to somewhat get it. I don't get it anymore, man. I really don't. 36 years old now, yeah. doing this at this level, bro. Crazy. Why can't people just give him his love? And I'll bring Ronaldo into the conversation because when you truly think about why people are like this, it's because of the presence of Ronaldo and the role he plays in the everlasting Messi-Ronaldo debate. And here's my issue, bro. I think too many people still go one versus the other. We have to, at this point, they're grandpas now. We got to appreciate what they did for the game and just leave it at that, bro. Who cares about this competition between one or the other? I know people have been saying that we've been very biased. Or we've been sucking Messi's dick lately oh, because yeah, we've been yeah. talking about him nonstop for the past 12 months. But look at what he's done in the past 12 <laughs> months, know, bro. <laughs> he won the goddamn World Cup with Argentina, and now he's lifting the League's Cup in his first inaugural attempt. Meanwhile, Ronaldo won the Arab Cup recently. And I give him his credit when he did. But I'm frustrated that a lot of the discourse isn't like this, man. It's not objective. I'm very, very frustrated, oh, bro. Yeah. Because I look at the comment sections of an insane Messi highlight. I look at the comment sections, sections of an insane Ronaldo highlight. And every time, it has nothing to do with the moment and the skill and genius they provided on, the, on that stage. It has everything to do with the debate. Penaldo. Uh, <laughs> penalty to Messi. Messi, bro. <laughs> I'm tired of it. I got it back when they were in the Real Madrid-Barcelona days and they were going head-to-head. -head. I understood it back then. But now, bro, what's there to debate, man? Let's appreciate the fact that both of these guys are winning trophies in their domestic leagues now at this crazy age when most players wouldn't be able to do it, man. It's so impressive. It's so beautiful to see. And I'm frustrated, bro, man. Because Messi just went on an insane run. What, 10 goals, one assist, and seven matches, right, man? Right, What are we criticizing everything else for? Yeah. Appreciate this greatness. Enjoy it. And, like, savor it, bro. And I just can't take for granted everything we've seen from Messi, everything we've seen from Ronaldo, and just... Any great in football. I can't take it for granted when it's happening in the present, when it's happening in the moment. Appreciate it, man. And I hope the rest of the people can do that too, man. Because Messi sees himself lifting the League's Cup trophy yet again, bro. Criticism towards Messi, in my opinion, or any other great for that matter, is pointless. I see it as a lack of maturity in said person posting whatever sort of criticism or response. And it's just pure denial. 
in my opinion. What's so funny about it, though, is these people who get wronged by Messi because they think it's scripted or because they think he's getting a penalty unfairly or whatever, these people are experiencing the same feeling that a fan of a mid-table club feels on a week-to-week basis. What you mean? How many times has a fan of Granada, let's say, felt cheated by <laughs> Barcelona, Atletico, Sociedad, Villarreal, or Madrid, right? No, a ton. A ton. What, the game's nil-nil, and then all of a sudden, a penalty call against them, and they're like, God damn it. Like, yeah. It's cheat. It's cheap. The referees are... It's rigged. Madrid's paying them. Barcelona's paying yes, the refs. Like, how many times have we heard that, right? right? This is the exact same thing, where these people think when they get cheated that it's scripted against them, right? Mm. But what's funny is that those fans of, those true fans of those mid-table clubs genuinely don't feel cheated after a certain point because they recognize it's not about the script. It really is at a certain point when you're so good, you do create your own luck. And I truly, genuinely believe that. Luck does exist in sports, but when you're very, very good like Lionel Messi, you truly create your own luck. And maybe luck's not even the right word, bro. It's just like your chances of getting in the box are higher when you have a player like Messi. Your chances of drawing in the defense to foul you are higher when you have a player like Messi. That's all it is. So, of course, Messi, when you have a player like him, he's going to draw way more fouls. He's going to draw way more penalties. He's going to do so much more for your team offensively that your opponent in your defense has to do so much more to try and stop him that, of course, there's going to be so many calls that are against you. And the only reason why I know that is because 12 years ago, I was the same person talking shit about Messi. Yeah. I was the same person. Yeah. I was the same kid being like, that's not a fucking penalty against Atleti. Like, it was, I was so upset because I genuinely thought things were scripted against me. But, you know, once I matured and truly understood the ins and outs of this beautiful sport of football, I realized that it's just greatness. When you have a team or a player that's so good, dude, it's fucking tough to stop them. Even if they do some really unthinkable things like Messi does mm-hmm. on a weekly basis. So, yeah, any criticism towards Messi, I think, is just a sign of immaturity or or maybe a a lack of, like, just understanding of how good he truly is. The remedy to that is just, you know, follow the give and go, you know? (laughs) You know, follow uh, the teams that we highlight because, you know, we we, we can definitely – we do both. We do big teams. We do small teams. We do everything in between. And I think that's why we have such a unique perspective because I think the way that we view football as a whole allows us to be a little bit more objective. And I do, and the, one of the biggest things I want to get out of this podcast to all of our fans out there is let's be a little bit more objective when you come to these analysis, but we can also still have a lot of fucking fun while doing so because the sport's right, so right. entertaining. Right. It's so dramatic. And I'm not saying to eliminate that emotion when you support a team, but also understand that when you're playing against greatness, sometimes it can't be stopped. I'm about to jump off the ledge, bro. You're you saving me right now. You're saving me right now, bro. Jesus Christ. I'm just frustrated, right, bro. Right, right, right. Yeah. I'm fr- I just, I, I wish, I thought it was so special what I saw yesterday and Messi do on the pitch. It was a beautiful thing, but I was like, man, it's crazy that other people in the world won't allow themselves to feel yeah. this special moment. Because they got some narrative in their head about this tournament being scripted, bro. Mm. And that frustrates me, man. But all in all, yeah. I just, the message is what you just said. Let's appreciate greatness, bro, appreciate because it. football, 
when greatness is on display like that, bro, when Mbappe is running down the wing and going crazy, when R9 was blowing past guys back in the 2000s, when Ronaldinho was dancing on the fucking sidelines and shit, like, this is all the beauty of the sport, man. And we need to learn to appreciate it and not, not get caught up in this whole debate of one being better than the other, bro, because I think it really ends up being very toxic towards the, the way people watch the sport. Oh, and it yeah. keeps people from enjoying moments like these, man. So with Messi winning the least cup now, I mean, I would assume this, but I want to ask you this. Ballon d'Or odds now. Ballon d'Or is in October 2023. It's coming up soon. Now he's got the least cup under his belt and the goddamn World Cup. Yeah. Is that going to give him the edge over Erling Holland, who just cemented the treble a few months ago? I think so, only because Erling Holland was nowhere to be found at that World Cup. And I think it's the fact that it has been a World Cup year, we have to take performances at that tournament into consideration. If Holland, for example, was at that World Cup, went to the quarterfinals or something like that, then I'd say give it to him because he won the treble at club level. But unfortunately, you know, being Norwegian in this time is a little tough. <laughs> but it's not, it's not the worst thing in the world, right? It's yeah. not the worst thing. But you compare it to Argentina, then yeah, it's a little tough. With Messi winning that tournament, continuing his greatness in the States, I do think it should go to Lionel Messi this year. Wouldn't that be and crazy? I think it'd be the last one he gets, obviously. Yeah, eighth one. But I think he, I think he deserves it. Dude, yeah. Dude, an MLS player lifting a Ballon d'Or would be crazy, like in terms of propaganda. <laughs> yeah, on the Wikipedia page, it'll be a little messy. The year 2023, and next to the club, it'll be a U.S. flag. Yeah, in Miami. Bro. <laughs> yeah, and he'll like present the trophy in Miami. That's so crazy to me. So ultimately, that's is that who you would give it to? Like, I, I feel like you're coming from like a voter perspective, but you yourself, is that who you would end up giving it to? Okay, yeah, um, yeah, I would. I no. would. I mean, I really do rank the World Cup as like the most prestigious award that any player can get. And the fact that he won it and was such a prominent figure in doing so has been equally as successful at the club level before and after that. I think it has to go to him. I really do. I think, that, I think that's where I stand too. I think had Erling Haaland done this any other season in which Messi didn't participate in the World Cup, I think he would have had a genuine shot at winning it and maybe even running away with it. But the fact that Messi got away with having a pretty bad season with PSG but ended up justifying this past year by lifting the most desired trophy in all the sports, the World Cup, and playing as the best player in that tournament, I think it's a little... It's tough to argue against. And then you just the cherry on top, the literal cherry on top has to be this League's Cup tournament and what he just did this summer. Yeah. It has to be messy, I think, at the end of the day. Erling Hanna had a great opportunity. He's a young kid. He'll get back into this he'll oh. get back into his winning ways and he'll lift his own ballon d'Or at some point. But I do think Messi ends up lifting his eighth ballon d'Or in his career Jeez. in October. And we're gonna have to we're gonna have to keep an eye on, on that to see how that goes. Absolutely. And just to finish about Messi one more time, it just came to my head. I forgot, dude. Going into this tournament, we were talking about, you know, Messi playing against Liga MX sides. Ultimately, they only played one in Cruz Azul. And I was damn. so bummed because I was like, damn, like, Inter Miami, there's no way they get into the playoffs. Although that's going to be interesting because now I think they have a genuine chance. And I was like, there's no way they're going to get a CONCACAF Champions League spot. But by winning it, they are in the CONCACAF Champions League next year. Wow. Yeah. The, okay, I'm, uh, where does like, South American football come into this? South American, I don't think it does. Because there's a tournament, no, between two CONCACAF teams and two... 
Oh, is, does that involve this? But when, but when does that start? Yeah, though? I wonder. That's the thing. I I don't know when that relationship starts with Goldmable. It was announced, right? Yeah. But I don't know yeah. when that's gonna be. But I, I wonder if I, I wonder if they're gonna use this as yeah. a birth or not. But just the idea that Messi immediately next year, like March April time frame, he's gonna be in Mexico at some point. Yes. That's what I've been dying to yeah. see. I want to see the Mexican crowds show up at whatever yes. stadium they're in. To see Lionel Messi play, bro. Because I was fearing that we weren't going to get to see that because mm -hmm. of Miami's status in the MLS. But through the League's Cup, wow. they've gotten a spot. So, I, dude, I'm even more wow. hyped for more international football for Inter-Miami, dude. Wow, dude. Yeah, man. Crazy. If he plays against, like, America and right. Azteca, bro. Oh, that'd be insane, man. Chills down my spine. I can't wait, bro. And then, just speaking of more silverware, he's got a chance of silverware this upcoming Wednesday, dude. U.S. Open Cup matchup against Cincinnati in Cincinnati, semifinal. If he wins this game, they're in the final of the U.S. Cup against oh Houston Dynamo or Rouse Salt Lake. Uh -huh. Two games away from more silverware, bro. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, Crazy, He's going to bag himself another trophy. <laughs> Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, it's coming oh up, bro. So it's like God. incredible the, the kind of... By virtue of winning the, the League's Cup, how much momentum and confidence is going to give this team and how he's essentially, by, by himself at the end of the day, reviving what was a team that was fucking buried in the dirt at one point. Dude. Spain are World Cup champions, my friend. España have won the 2023 Women's World, World Cup after absolutely dismantling this English side, yeah. dominating and winning 1-0 with Carmona being the lone goal scorer. An amazing game overall from the Spanish team, just showcasing their incredible technical ability, showcasing how much the game has progressed in their own country and beating the 2021, I believe, 2022 Euros winners in England. I love it, bro. I love to see it. Congratulations to Spain, man. Congratulations to Carmona, who had an incredible moment. The thing that stands out to me so much is what Spain has done with the women's program in the last eight years. In 2015, they made their debut in the Women's World Cup tournament, and they exited after finishing at the bottom of the group stage. Fast forward to the next tournament in 2019, they made a round of 16 appearance but still got knocked out. Four years later, they find themselves lifting the trophy. Wow. Just a sign of how good Spain is when it comes to developing talent, to you know, building infrastructure and building good programs to where these players and these special talents can thrive and shine. And, and now Spain looks set to, in my opinion, be a European force in the women's footballing landscape. Yeah, Spain put on an absolutely dominant performance against England. And I think honestly for this entire tournament, it kind of has to be previewed as the knockout stages went on, Spain was and was looking like the best team at this World Cup. So for them to actually pull it off, fulfill what they had been building towards and win this World Cup final, I think is only testament to the amount of work that they've done over the last eight years and testament to the amount of skill that is sprinkled throughout this entire squad, bro. Aitana Bonmati, Jenny Hermoso getting the Golden and Silver Ball Awards, respectively, absolutely incredible. And, you know, specifically Bonmati, man. Fingerprints all over this final, all over the Spanish squad, constant facilitation, such good skill on the ball. And then you also have young player of the young player of the tournament in Salma Paraguelo. 
What's crazy about her is, dude, I think she's going to dominate. She has to, right? She's going to dominate for a decade. Spanish Mbappe. Yeah, I, I, I was <laughs> just about to say, I, I, I truly see her offensive output similar or in parallel to that of like Mbappe, for example. Yeah. She is going to score so many, so many goals for the next 10 years. Spain is going to have an incredibly deadly offensive line for the next decade if Parayrela shows any resemblance of how good she was at this tournament, bro. So congratulations to Spain. They have an incredibly talented squad and it's completely deserved. And I'd like to hear now from the friend of the give and go who's been a longest in this Women's World Cup ride, Adriana Monsalve, La Monsalve. Let's hear what she has to say about this final, how she reacted to it, and just overall what she thinks about Spain lifting their first World Cup. Hi, guys. I'm still amazed. What a great final Spain and England gave us. It had a lot of topics to describe it as one of the best in women's World Cup history. España, World Cup champions for the first time ever. Reynoso, you were right all along. Well, the best two teams of the tournament, the best players of the tournament. England's goalkeeper, Mary Earps, won the Golden Glove of the competition. She was brilliant. Aitana Bonmati, like we discussed here, won the most valuable player. And I'm sure she will be contender to win Ballon d'Or next year. Her performance in this tournament was incredible. And last but not least, Salma Parayuelo was named best young player of the tournament. She had become three-time champion for Spain. The Barcelona striker has also won the U17 and U20 World Cup trophies, and she's only 19 years old. I would definitely say the baton is in good hands with Parayuelo's talent. We were sure this final was going to be everything about details. Spain was more clinical than England, even though Jenny Hermoso missed that penalty kick that could have put Spain ahead by two goals in the last 20 minutes of the match. Soccer fans have to appreciate the way this final was played. Both teams wanted to play with the ball, have possession of it. Spain created more chances and ended up being more effective and dangerous than the Lionesses. Olga Carmona scored the goal of her life and the most important one for Spain's women's soccer history. Her dad passed away before the match and the Spanish Federation decided to tell her after so she could have been focused throughout the game. The message she sent to her dad when she found out was trended on Twitter. The way she handled this situation was unreal. I wish her all the best and may her dad rest in peace. This final showed us two countries that have supported the development of women's soccer. Spain didn't even have a professional league created four years ago. They've had sponsors investing in the league. They have developed youth talents and also international competitions like the UEFA Champions League have helped to improve the players' game. Spain is the second country to have won a women and men's World Cup, joining just by Germany. La Furia Roja was the most professional team in this World Cup. They taught us how to achieve a goal despite having a divided locker room and a questionable relationship with coach Jorge Bilda. They decided to put their differences aside and work as a team. Every person as an individual used their talent for their country's well-being and have a lifetime experience. This 
should be a life lesson everyone should learn in all scenarios in life. A World Cup is more than just a tournament. Women's soccer made history with a very competitive event. We enjoyed watching great players on the pitch with beautiful stories of resilience. It also has record numbers of fans assisting to the matches and it has been one of the most women's World Cup ever watched worldwide. FIFA Women's World Cup Australia and New Zealand 2023 has been a real success. Spain taught us the most amazing experience on and off the pitch for the love of the game. España, campeona del mundo. Tómala. West Ham faced off against Chelsea I said, today. Look, I'll put it to you straight. Chelsea lost 3-1 in this game. Yeah. And I think behind the scenes, you haven't revealed it in front of camera. Maybe we'll see if you uh, follow up with it here. But you told me that you were going to be a Chelsea fan this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, just in a very similar way that I was a Man United fan last right. year. It's very loose. It means nothing. And I'm here to have fun and enjoy the ride. If that means finishing in the top four, sure. If it means finishing in 15th place, also sure. It's not out of admiration that I'm supporting the oh. club this year. It is simply out of what the hell is, are they gonna do this year? That's why I have my eyes on them more so than any other club uh -huh. because the amount of money that they have spent in the last three, four years, astronomical, 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 astronomical numbers. Astronomical. And I just wanna see what they do. And if that's crash and burn or go all the way to the top, I just wanna see it happen with my own eyes. So yeah, in that, in that sense, I will be a Chelsea supporter Sure. Okay. This year. Careful yeah. with that term, bro. <laughs> Careful yeah, with that term. It's interesting because I am supporting them by watching their games, but I'm not like, you know, like, let's fucking go Chelsea. Like, you know, there's, I think there's a difference there. I don't know what I am then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, we'll have, a hybrid, bro. We'll have to think uh, of a hybrid there's, title There's a here. word that we need to create. Like, I'm interested in what they're doing, but not out of love. Well, they're starting off on a terribly bad foot, bro. <laughs> terribly, man. They're en route for a crash and burn uh, yeah, journey yeah. here because they lose 3-1 away from home against West Ham. The only reason I was interested in this Chelsea game is because of my Liverpool uh, bias. And if you don't remember, Liverpool was wronged betrayed and bamboozled just recently by Ecuadorian Moises Caicedo. Yeah, yeah And yeah. what he did to us by uh, showing us one face, but then turning around and showing us the other, bro. <laughs> a very devilish move he did in the transfer window, choosing to go to Chelsea for a record-breaking 115 million euros. Mm. He had an absolute disastrous debut. Top five worst debuts I've ever seen in my goddamn life because here are the numbers, bro. 37 minutes played, eight losses of possession, Sheesh. two fouls, one shot off target, one error leading to a shot opportunity, and lastly, one penalty conceded in which Paqueta eventually made the game 3-1. Caicedo was awful, bro. He was awful, and I could not stop smiling throughout this entire fucking performance, man. Ah. An abysmal game that I saw from him, an abysmal start to his Chelsea tenure. I'm not saying he's going to end up being bad because that's very, that's very unlikely, man. He's probably going to be very, very good for this squad, but from an outside perspective, it's very nice to see a Chelsea team that has spent every cent available to them end up still finding ways to underwhelm in the league and unable to buy themselves three points. I hate it, dude. I hate what Chelsea are doing in these last four transfer windows because 
It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. They are expanding this football bubble that is visible from space, bro. <laughs> Shit's about to pop, and Chelsea's a big reason for it, bro. Every single, like you said, they bought like three players over $100 million. Like, what does that even mean anymore? It obviously doesn't mean points. Because they weren't able to turn it around last year. And this year, it looks like there's still a lot of work left to be done. Mm -hmm. But I think it's why we both, in our predictions, didn't really have Chelsea up there. Like, not in the top four, mm -hmm. at least. So, I, this is what... I think this is the reality. Chelsea have a lot of quality. But is any of it planned? Is any of it thought out from a strategy perspective? Bochettino has an incredible task to make it work. But it really is just... How much does this player cost? Yeah. How hot he is on the market? Oh, he's hot? Then we're buying we're him. him. Yeah. It, it, it's stupid. I hate that. Man. And I, I hate it. And looking at the player perspective, truly, truly, I don't even know why you would come here because if you don't put on a stellar performance for the entire season, you will be labeled as a bust. You will just because of the sheer numbers that you cost. So why would you, why would you do that? If you could just go to Liverpool, be a part of a very specific project, and have leeway to actually fail a little bit, I don't, yes. I, I don't understand it. And I think that just really tells you the power of money in today's society, because that is the only reason why people are going to Chelsea, because they're getting that fat stack. Yeah, I think someone someone uh, commented about how happy Chukwameka was to score his lone goal for Chelsea today. They're like, what a special moment for the lad, 19 years old, scoring his goal. And someone commented, like, of course he's going to be happy. He has 10 other $30 million expense signings competing for that same fucking position. The man needs to score, otherwise he's going to be sent to the fucking youth squad, dude. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy how much depth they have and how misaligned all of it is, dude, because I don't have a problem with spending big personally. I I really don't mind that. I know a lot of people talk about oil money and talk about where the funds come from. Yeah, yeah. I ultimately don't have a problem with that. I have a problem if you're being wasteful with that money, man. Like a Man City team or even a Liverpool team that's been so effective about where they put their money, buying players that end up panning out, buying players that are worth that price tag and provide that level of performance week in, week out. With Chelsea, I don't see that, man. I see players that have been hyped up to a crazy degree that suddenly have price tags over 80 million euros. They get bought because of that hype and then end up underwhelming. And I think we're going to see a lot of examples of that this upcoming season. Yes, they're going to win games. Yes, they're going to have really good moments. But all in all, my prediction for Chelsea, I think was like seventh or eighth, was like seventh or eighth place. And that's exactly where I see them ending because I think a lot of what works against them is this method that they've had in the transfer window and how they go about buying players. Let's go to Spain, man. Okay. Let's go to Spain and let's stay there for a little bit. Oh shit. Let's stay there for a while. Okay. And I want to start off with Atletico Madrid, yes. my one and only true love Been in this waiting, world. Bro. And, you know, off screen, we've talked about them just very briefly. And I think you kind of got onto the energy that I had that you know, it's not the most positive energy toward this club yeah, right yeah. now, right? You kind of felt that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just want to make, make sure that's clear. <laughs> we played the day against Real Betis in Sevilla and nothing happened. Mm-mm. For 90 whole minutes, <laughs> nothing happened. No. But it's, I'm not surprised. And I'll get into that in a second. But just to finish up what any analysis could be done about this game, it was hot. Neither Betis or Atletico looked like they wanted to win it. I think at the end of the day, either side was very happy with a point because neither side risked anything else. So yeah, it was a very boring game. Neither side could unlock the defense of their opponents. And 
there's like no shots on goal, no moments of creativity. It was a very slow moving game. For Betis, it's interesting because, you know, you secure the signing of Ayose Perez from Leicester City. You also get Isco. You get Isco back into the club scheme in Spain. And honestly, I think that's a very good signing. It's very positive for a team like Betis. A team who's trying to do a lot. A, a, a team who's trying to gain consistency. And I think they've shown that by keeping Pellegrini as the coach for over more than just one, one and a half seasons. And also, they've been able to keep a lot of the core of their players but I think ultimately Betis are just missing maybe like a really creative midfielder, someone who can just break the line and feed Borja Iglesias or feed Ayose Perez. They're really missing that crafty player. I think Isco can do it, but his age doesn't really help. And against a very good team like Atle against like Atletico, I think Betis are going to definitely struggle. So I think that's frustrating because I was hoping Betis could build off of last season, but I think realistically they're probably just going to be the exact same. Classic. Classic. Yeah. Betis doing Betis things. <laughs> now let's finally go to Atletico, bro. We have the oldest starting 11 no. that we've ever no, no, had no. No, no, no. in the last 20 years. No, bro. Dude, our average age is over 30 years no old. No way, bro. Isn't that crazy? No way. So that means on average, if you just picked a player on the starting 11... There's a chance, there's a high chance that they're past their prime technically. Because if you consider prime to be between 24 and 29, yeah. 20, 30, right? So that's, that's crazy. Wow. Right, 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 right. So we have a very old team. But here's, and what's crazy is that that doesn't even bother me when it comes to Atletico. What we're genuinely missing is fresh, young blood. That's what we're missing. We bring in a guy like Cesar Espilicueta. That's new blood, but it's not young blood, bro. He's going to come in here. He's back in Spain. Good for him. And he's going to clock in and he's going to clock mm -hmm, out. Mm -hmm. He's going to put in some incredibly good shifts. And I trust him with my life mm -hmm. because he's had in incredible experiences throughout his entire career. You know, for example, at Chelsea, winning Champions Leagues, etc. So I think he's a good addition to our back line. He's already come in. He started two games in a row. He's going to be our starting, whether it's hybrid fullback or center back. That's what he's going to do. But to change the narrative in La Liga, to go for the title, to beat Madrid, to beat Barcelona, we need something different. We need something new. We need something that can change the landscape of this Atleti side, and we don't have that. You know, if you look at our front four, it's Alvaro Morata, a solid striker. He's not great. He's mm -hmm. solid. Mm -hmm. You have Thomas Lamar, who's once again very good, but he's already proven since he's been here for like over three years. He's proven that he's never going to be great. So, okay, great. We, we have a good, solid player in Thomas Lamar. We have Antoine Griezmann, who, yes, he's a little bit aged, but with the right players around him, he can still be one of the most creative pieces in all of offensive football. So I don't have any problem with Griezmann, right? I have no problem. But outside of that, man, it's, it's the same story as Lamar Morata, you know? Koke just got injured, but he was going to be our starting midfielder. Uh, Marcos Llorente, he's still like our biggest point of attack on the wings alongside a very old, or an aging Yannick Ferreira Carrasco. Dude, these are the same players that, was that have been here for five, six years. I man. saw Carrasco's 29. Right. But he feels old, though. Right. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Is that all of... Exactly, It's like bro. the same thing with him. I think it's what it is. There's, yes. no, new There's no new ideas new. with them. You know what you're going to get, and that's kind of disappointing. It's disappointing because to, to beat Madrid, to beat Barcelona, we need, just need one player that can just change that for mm. us. But we don't 
have it, bro. We don't. We got Samuelino who was on loan to a Valencia last I was year. Who that was? Yeah, he comes on for us. We bought him last year, but we immediately sent him on loan. He had Is a he, good season yeah. at Valencia, but he's not a game changer. Yeah. He's gonna. He's a solid player, <laughs> just like Lamar. Shit, <laughs> right? that's what I'm saying. Like we are set up once again to finish in third place. Is what I'm saying, because we don't have anything new in our offense to actually change the narrative of beating Barcelona and Madrid. We don't have a bad squad. I'm not mm, saying no, 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 that. No, no. And if it sounds really negative, I'm just saying negative from a point of, I'm, I'm trying to win a title over here. Aspiration, yeah. Aspiration yeah. absolutely. So it gets really, really frustrating when I look at this Atleti side and it's just yet another year where we're just like, okay, we're going to be better than 90% of La Liga sides, but we're not going to be better than Madrid or Barcelona. It, we're just not. Well, is that, I, I do wonder from an Atleti perspective, I remember one time we talked about if uh, Simeone should get fired and you said no, as long as we essentially continue to get ourselves in top four, he deserves to be here. Is there, I guess, any sort of positivity that comes from finishing top four consistently for you? Or should it, should it always be to aim for a title because of the talent that you do have and the money that you know that you can spend? Where do Atleti fans stand on that? Like, mm-hmm. uh, is it a, a, a club that's okay finishing in third and seeing an achievement in that? Or is it a club that thinks they deserve a lot more? Ah, shit. So the way that I see it is the team that we have right now, the 11, including all of the bench players that can be in rotation, the way that I see it is... Third place should be expected, but I'm not expecting anything else. Why I'm frustrated is because I think we're only missing one or two other players. And if we had those players, we could go for the title. And an example is if Joao Felix had turned out to be the player that we thought he would have been, we would have won last year and we would win this year too. We're that close to having a complete squad Because Felix was supposed to be like the next Griezmann, for example, as far as goal-scoring output, right? (laughs) If you see the way that he's played over the last three seasons, you'll see that, you know, the kid doesn't score more than six goals. Yeah. So he's he's essentially non-effective. James Bond, 007. (laughs) And nothing (laughs) Seven goals a year. Exactly. Spoiled brat. But we paid over 100 100 million for a player like that. 120. Exactly. But... If he had worked out and scored 20 goals a season, mm. then we would have the best playmaker in La Liga mm-hmm. with Antoine Griezmann. We would have then had the best winger slash forward in Joao Felix. And then we would have had a very good Alvaro Morata to pair with him and then a very solid Thomas Lamar to pair with him. And I trust our backline. You know, Savic is good. We now have a Cesar Spiliqueta and we still have Jan Oblak between the sticks. Mm-hmm. That's a good backline. All we're missing is true creativity slash genuine 20-goal output in our offense. We don't have it, bro. We just don't even have it close. Morata is going to do the best that he can, but Depay, Griezmann, Lamar, they're not going to score that much for us. It's not in their DNA at this point. So... We're very close to having a very complete team. That's why I'm a little frustrated because all it takes is getting the right pieces, getting the right players. But I'll be honest, I don't know if Atletico's looking at that right now as a club. As an organization, I don't know if we're looking at looking at the next big piece to go for a title. I genuinely think that as a club, we're just trying to stay in the Champions League. I think so. I think yeah. that's it. Bro, look at the signings they made. Even like a guy like Suyunchu, it's not... It's all defensive. It's not, yeah, it's, it's, it's like all defensive. defensive where it's like safe signings in Aspilicueta. I didn't see a single signing this offseason that like got me off my seat. Exactly. I wonder what's going to come from this Joao Felix situation. 
if he gets sold, do they do anything with that money? Right. What does selling him even look like? Have him leaving the club? I wonder if they. I don't know. I wonder how they'll go. I wonder how Atleti will approach life post Joao Felix, given that he was the most expensive signing in club history. Yeah, all I'm hoping for is that we invest that money, but knowing Atletico, the way we do things, we invest it slowly, right? Mm -hmm. So I do think that we'll get players, but it's just not going to be quick. It's going to be yeah, like... Yeah, like two well, years from now, I can see y'all making a big move for someone. Right, right. <laughs> we'll get like maybe a player or two that'll be solid next year, and then maybe the next offseason, we'll look to get mm -hmm. like a big, big signing. Mm -hmm. We move slowly in Atletico, at least in that part of Madrid. It's just the reality of things. But yeah, I mean... All the signings that have worked out for us have been purely defensive. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about a player like Axel Witzel, for example. Like he's been a good signing for us. He's not that old either. He's getting there now, he's but there, yeah. he's purely defensive, right? We're not. Atletico's not looking f to risk any more money on a very offensive player because I think we're scarred by Felix. Who uh, I think I think signing Felix and the way it turned out has genuinely scared us from trying to do yeah. a similar thing. Yeah, it was so uncharacteristic, honestly, for y'all to like put that money in like that. Super uncharacteristic. And then to have it backfire like that is, it, it can traumatize you financially, man. It can really do yeah. that. I, I, okay, I wonder, who's who do you see being your player of this season then? Who do you see being the best player of the team so far? Something a, a little optimistic, something fun to look at from an athletic perspective. Your prediction as to who's going to have the best season for them this year. I think probably breakout, and he already kind of flirted with it by getting minutes last season at the end of it. Uh, Pablo Barrios. New oh, really? midfielder kid who's supposed to be, you know, basically the heir to that Coque Saul type of midfielder play that we like to, that Simeone likes to employ. He's been fantastic, I'd say, in these first two matches already. He came off the bench for Coque when he got injured. He started in this last match against Betis. He's got a good amount of energy. He's explosive in moments, so he can get involved offensively. But he's also just really smart on the ball. He's not much of a risk taker, which I do enjoy. But at the same time, you know, he's not that impact player that I'm still requiring, right? I'm looking for someone that can, you know, get in there on a, you know, five to 10 minute basis every single game. Barrios is very much like a coque. He's very much like a prime Saul in the sense that his main priority is to get the ball in the middle of the pitch and just, you know, move it side to side and then in moments get involved offensively. But so he's not going to change the landscape for Atleti, but I do think he's going to have a very good season and basically cement himself to be a starting central midfielder for the next like five years. So that's, that's, that's a good thing to have. Did you see that they mic up the coaches now? Like uh, during like water breaks? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. You see that shit? Diego yeah, Simeone dude. hearing him talk? Yeah, so it, it's really interesting now. For the hydration breaks, they have a guy with a boom mic. Yeah. And he goes over the huddle Really like I it. I like it, dude. I really I like, like it. it. But Madrid denied. Uh, I, that dude, Madrid I denied saw it. that, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. felt that it, it conflicted with the traditions of their footballing history and decided not to right. take part in it. But from an athletic perspective, I like that I got to hear that insight. I did wonder, though, like, what can an opposing team, like, can they be watching the broadcast <laughs> the and then feet. just gain the... Just gain that insight, bro, because he's being, being pretty like transparent what he wanted from his players and oh, like the awesome approach to have. So from a fan perspective, it's really nice, but from a, I guess, tactical, strategic perspective, I wonder how how that gets approached. Dude, I, I do, I really do wonder. But it, for me, it's more so just interesting to watch. I think it was last week when Atletico were playing Granada and Granada's coach Paco Jimenez or Jimenez, I forget his last name. Dude, he had such a open conversation with his players that you just don't see. He was asking his midfielders, he's like, 
what problems do you guys see? Whoa. I was like, holy shit, like, this is so cool. Like, he was like, what do you guys see? And the myth was like, honestly, nothing. I think we're doing a good job. <laughs> and he's like, okay, good. So then what's the problem? He was like asking them wow. to like, almost like a coach trying to get these players to be coaches one day themselves. Yes, yes, yes. It was so cool to see. And then once the defenders started talking, he was like, yes, he's like, the defense needs to help with our midfielders more. Yeah. And I was like, oh, dude, what a cool way to coach and what a cool insight to have as a fan. Yeah, I've always felt, I do feel that La Liga, in comparison to the Premier League, has always been a little bit more ambitious with like things like that, man. I mean, mm. the Gimme Go experience, the La Liga True. experience, right? A, 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 a program created for creators to come and see what it's like to experience a La Liga game, creators from all around the world. But even like the type of like shots that the La Liga gets, the cameras that they use, the the graphics that they utilize as well, the augmented reality that they implement in matches. I've always seen La Liga as a little bit more ambitious when it comes to like the production of how they display the league versus Premier League, which is always like, it's always been the same thing and it's very good, but they don't change a single freaking thing about it, bro. <laughs> and I could never see them doing the the like transparent no. coaching interviews like how La Liga does right now too. To close with Atletico though, just to make my feelings cemented on the pod, I think we'll finish third. I just I just don't think we're going to go for the title this year. I think we'll have a good season, but nothing great, nothing special. But now I want to go to Barcelona. Barcelona, oh, who wow. played today uh, against... Cadiz. Thank you. Who played today technically at home, although the Camp Nou is actually under construction, so they were in like a different facility. Uh, but they're playing against Cadiz. And, bro, Barca are struggling to create chances, man. Wow. Strug truly. Wow. Like, truly, truly struggling. Lewandowski, I don't even know if he's had a shot on goal oh, terrible in things about both him. games. And he's played 90 full minutes in both. But just in general, Gavi, Pedri, Gundogan, for example, they're getting on the ball a lot, but they're super ineffective with all of their moves. Whether it's a through ball, trying to dribble penetration, yes, they'll get what they want, but once it gets tight in that box, they run out of ideas. And not only that, they're running out of ways to actually just get past their opponent and even just try to be threatening. Like, for the most part, both Getafe and Cadiz, while they have employed a very defensive structure to face Barcelona, they're stopping them. There's some really good last-ditch defending. In this game specifically, though, uh, our boy Conan Ledesma had two impeccable saves. One of the best keepers in he's all of good, La Liga, in one, of my, in one of my you know, humble opinions. Yeah, he's good, bro. He's so good. Just signed a new contract for Cadiz, extending good. it out to 2026. Good. So it'll be good to see him. Hopefully they get relegated so we can go to a better yeah, team. Bro, That's what fine. I'm hoping for, bro. <laughs> no offense to Cadiz, but I think Ledesma needs to go to just a better team yeah. overall because I think he'd have some crazy highlights. And like a Pickford, I, bro. Yeah, like, lo a, low key. A relegation level team, but playing at a really good level. Absolutely. And he has just like this energy about him that like truly, I think no matter what club he'd go to, I think the fans would get behind him immediately. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's very likable. He's so likable. Yeah. And he put on an impeccable performance today against Barcelona. Then how they lose? Bro, a beautiful through ball from Gundogan. Oh, yeah, okay. which makes sense okay. if you think about it. Perfect little slip pass, just the right amount of weight on it. And Pedri comes crashing with a nice, beautiful diagonal run, slides into it, and it goes past Ledesma. With it was a beautiful yeah, finish, okay. honestly. Okay. A perfect play, but dude, my point still stands. Barcelona really struggled offensively today, mm -hmm. and they had like 85% of possession. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. This is essentially what happened last year. Bro, that's how they won the title. That's how they won the title. 1-0, like for 40 games straight. Exactly. And it, the tactics work so well. 
in today's La Liga because here's essentially what Xavi's Barcelona do. They keep the ball. They keep the ball 90% of the time. So even if Barcelona's not scoring, their opponent ain't either because they don't even have the ball to do so. Yeah. So it's going to be nil-nil for the longest time. And on the 30th attempt, Barcelona is going to get at least one. As you just said, how many one nils did they get last year? It's going to be the exact same thing this year if they don't change anything, bro. But the thing is, I don't think they do. Because as I said last year too, I think most of La Liga is going through an offensive drought right now. Mm-hmm. And Oh, even Real Madrid, dude. Yeah, even, yeah. even Real Madrid. Too. And... <laughs> I just talked about Atleti. Our biggest weakness is our offense, and for Cadiz especially, bro. Because, dude, they had two one-on-one opportunities with Ter Stegen, two, and both of them were fluffed. Yeah, especially the first one with Roger going right up against Ter Stegen, ends up trying to chip it over him. But I was like, oh, dude, not the right move. Like, terrible decision, terrible control. Should have gone up one nil in that moment. And then there's uh, another moment later on in the game where Cadiz had another glorious opportunity to take advantage, and they would have gone up 1-0 as well. Didn't do anything with it. Nothing with it. And it goes back to my first point, man. Like, what are they doing offensively in La Liga? There's got to be one team, though. There's got to be one team. we got to find it, I'm man. waiting for the it. The gimmick goes, got to find that I'm team, waiting bro, for it, because bro. there's got to be one team that has some sort of fluidity offensively, but you're right. The rest of it is abysmal. abysmal. It's a dry land of goals, dude. And even translates to the top teams. I've been saying it with Barcelona, Atletico, and Real Madrid. Even Madrid, missing Benzema now. The way that we've seen them go about scoring their goals, although they have won both their games, it's a general sign of how much La Liga has slowed down in the offensive yeah. department, man. There's barely any people employed right now in that department, bro. It's an empty <laughs> fucking staff, it's man. Empty. So, yeah, to finish, man, I think Barcelona have a very good chance of defending their title, but it's for those reasons. It's not going to be that Barcelona's electric offensively. It's going to be because their midfield is probably the best midfield in the league. Maybe Madrid can rival it because of Bellingham. But other than that, they're going to dominate possession because of their midfield. De Jong, Pedri, and Gavi are fantastic. And they'll have a good chance because the rest of their opponents just aren't good offensively, bro. Just not good. But, you know, let's extend it a little bit. I think they're not going to do anything in the Champions League. It's going to be the same thing, bro. I think they'll be good in Spain, but only in Spain. Yeah, it'll they're going to have they're going to have to change a lot to be truly threatening against the giants in Italy, Germany, and England. What are your thoughts on um, Yamal? Yamal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What he's like 16? 16 years old. Yeah. Sounds counter. Sounds like he counters the ideas that you. It sounds like he counters the ideas that you've been presenting offensively. Very happy, very eager to penetrate the wings. Very happy-go-lucky type of attitude. He's got a little bit of that youngster magic to him right now. Mm-hmm. He's shown some promise in preseason games, and I saw a little bit of highlights in this game. He had some very, you know, a few couple successful dribbles in the box. What do you think overall? Is this kid enough to do something for this Barcelona side to reignite them offensively? Oh, I, I think Yamal's fantastic, man. Him and Balde, the left back for Barcelona, I thought were outstanding today, actually, against Cadiz. They were the two bright spots specifically. Um, but here's my problem with both of those players, of Yamal and Balde, let's just say. As you just said, excellent off the dribble, so eager to penetrate. But I see them both as very similar to Vinny Jr. in his first year at Madrid. So talented, so penetrative but not efficient, right? I, I, I think Yamal's going to have a big learning curve this year and maybe even the next year to figure out himself and how to use his talents to be efficient. 
I think he's going to have some crazy highlights this oh, season. Yeah. I think he's going to take players one-on-one, and he's going to get past them the majority of the time. But I think when it comes to that final ball or that final finish, I think he's going to be lacking. And that's not even a criticism. It's just, it's just he's so good, but he's so young, bro. I think all it's going to take is time for Yamal to be truly effective. But it goes back to my first point. I think Barcelona are still missing something like that, right? They have talent, but they don't have effectiveness. And I think a player like Yamal literally cements that notion. Yeah, I think in the Champions League, we're going to see it uh, be exposed, I think, a mm-hmm. lot. I do, I do agree with you on that point. I do see them having a very similar experience, getting knocked out, potentially going to Europa League. If they do make it out of their state group stage, then I think it's a different Barcelona side that we'll see because I do think that... If they can make it out, if they can kind of get past those demons that they've been going through these past few years, not really thriving on the European on the European stage, then maybe we'll see a Barcelona team that is able to step up and compete with these top, top teams. But for now, what I've heard about Barcelona, what I've seen, the players that they have signed, I'm just not that impressed, bro. I'm yeah. not that impressed ultimately. Even with a guy like Gundogan, who I really do love, I don't think he's enough to push them over the edge in Europe against these top, top teams. I think everything European-wise for Barcelona rides on the group stage they get put into. If they get another tough group where it's like Inter and Bayern, they're done. They're not going to get through it. But if they get like a favorable one, then I think they could could have the talent to get through. And at that point, in a round of 16 stage, maybe Barcelona do something good. But if they're playing against like a Bayern or a City, I think they'll be done. Yeah, the top teams, I don't see it. I I just don't don't see see it. it, I don't see it for them. I I, I don't see it. But then to finish our stay in Spain, bro, Madrid, let's just go go ahead and continue to talk about the big teams in Spain. They played against Almeria in what ended up being a really entertaining match. End-to-end at times with Almeria just going at Madrid, getting an early goal with a beautiful (laughs) in-stride header from Robertone, the Argentine. And Almeria looked so good in that moment. And even... Even after that, they yeah. they got really unlucky to get equalized by Jude Bellingham and what was a weird call. Very weird v- goal overall, though. Very, yeah, the, the yeah. whole ricochet with Bellingham and the defender, but he takes advantage. He improvises very well. It's 1-1. And then, honestly, after that point, I think I thought Almaria did well to at least give everything that they could against Madrid. But for the most part, I think Madrid settled the game down in their own way took advantage of Almeria in their moments and looked very, very good. They got a nice 3-1 win, even though it was tricky at moments. But I think that's where that's the type of trajectory that Madrid are on this entire season. I think they're going to be a little inconsistent, but the talent that they have, I think is going to be a lot or is going to be enough to, to rival Barca. To oh, go for, sure. for the time. In the league, yeah. In the league, 100%. I just, I get worried, bro, because I looked at Bellingham's stats after two games, bro. He's had two man-of-the-match performances, <laughs> and he has three goals and an assist in two fucking matches. And for as happy as I am about him, you know how much I love Jude Bellingham. This pod knows how much I love this right, guy. Right, right. My favorite youngster in world football right now. Yeah. For as much as I love the guy, I almost feel like Real Madrid needs him to play like that to be <sighs> successful, bro. Oh, oh like yes. They need, they're like, yes, he's, play, he's playing at a stellar level, but... If he doesn't do that, I don't know how affected they'd be offensively and in winning these matches because that game did get very tight. And it was Jude Bellingham who scored the second goal, I believe, to cut the tie and give them the lead. And likewise, in that first game, I think he was a he scored the first goal no, against Athletic Bilbao. He did. Yeah, he was the first one to score against Athletic Bilbao as well. He's so important for this team, and they've got an absolute gem in him. But 
I've been saying this already since before the season started. Mm -hmm. I'm concerned about Real Madrid and their offensive capabilities, missing a guy like Benzema and putting a lot of responsibility on two incredibly effective wingers. Can wingers carry this team to a La Liga title? I wonder because systematically, formation-wise, strategy-wise, I don't think I've ever really seen something like this succeed at this level. But if Real Madrid can pull it off with the talent that they do have at hand, it'd be very impressive. I just think Jude Bellingham is going to have to play out of his mind on a regular basis, which he can do to give this team titles this year. Yeah, dude, I completely agree. What's interesting about this is that Ancelotti has set up Jude Bellingham to be very offensive in the squad. And I love that because at Dortmund, I think Bellingham at his best was incredibly offensive. Truly. And he was actually a, a little bit more deep lying in Borussia Dortmund, but he has the talent to do so. He's so good on the ball. But already in these first two matches with Madrid, Bellingham is up, bro. He is up there. When Madrid have offensive possession, Bellingham is pretty much in the box. He's pretty much a nine at He's points, a nine. Bro. Yeah, he really is. He's got the build for it. Yeah, he, does, <laughs> he does. He's got that tall, linky stature, man. But I think Ancelotti has realized that. He's like, look, I don't have a number nine, so I need Bellingham to be a hybrid midfielder nine. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing. But why I think it will work only in the domestic league, though, is I think Bellingham's up for it. If he wasn't up for it and he's like, shit, I'm not that comfortable up here, I think it would only work in spurts like we're mm-hmm. seeing it. But I actually do see Bellingham like having a fucking crazy season. Yeah. I think he can actually keep this going. Maybe not like a goal a game like he's doing, but I can. I, yeah, maybe, he might. He bro. may be, bro. Maybe. But I definitely see him having a very successful season at Madrid. But similar to Bayern last year, I think Madrid will definitely miss having a true nine. And the. After seeing what Bayern have gone through, I'm going to basically apply the same things to Madrid this year. I think Madrid is still going to be very good. They're going to be top two for sure. But whether they win or not, it's just going to be down to like Bellingham, Rodrigo, and Vini yep. Jr. And Champions League-wise, Madrid's not going to get into the final. They're not yeah, going to I, I don't it, think bro. so. I don't think so, They, man. they can't see a Spanish team this year. You, you have to have a solid nine to do it, and they don't. But what's interesting is, like Bayern Munich, where they waited a year to get a number nine like Harry Kane... I think Madrid are going to do the same thing. They're not going to get anything this year, but next year they get Mbappe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to try and be smart about it, recognize that this is just a transitionary year. They'll still get Champions League. They'll still be in Champions League. It's not really a loss from that perspective Mm -hmm. if you know what your expectations are. So that's why I'm actually kind of interested to see how Madrid do. But to kind of go back to your point, like they really are relying on their wingers. Vinny Jr., after his performance last season, he's up for it. He can do it. Yep. But, you know, we talked about this last season. We asked the question, when was Rodrigo going to be the starting figure for Real Madrid? And I think with Benzema's absence, Rodrigo has finally gotten the opportunity. And, bro, he's taking this chance with both hands. His performances in both games, bro, has been so good. And I think he's only going to get better with just more minutes, more reps. Like, Rodrigo's a killer, bro. We already knew that, but the fact that he's now starting, he's the basically go-to front man alongside Vinny Jr., I think Rodrigo's just going to get even better, man. So seeing, seeing those Brazilian boys up top from Madrid kind of facilitate, operate, and just go off in La Liga, I think, I think it's going to really help them. I think it's going to really help their chemistry for next year when they do get a player like Mbappe. Wait, okay, so then submit your, your vote. Where do you stand? Who wins the title this year? Right, so Liga, it's man. a little confusing. Um this is, is tough. It, this is tough because I think similar to Manchester City, Barcelona might have a good recipe on winning La Liga. And it goes back to my point of they keep the ball a lot better than Madrid do. 
and eventually they will get at least one goal. Whereas Madrid, it's more like they'll get two or three goals, but they commit so many guys forward that they definitely get caught at the back. They definitely do. So I, I don't know. Does Madrid have a better defense or does Barcelona have a better game plan? That's the question. And I, ah, right now it's tough I'm to I'm going tell, Madrid bro. on this one. Yeah? I'm going Madrid. I, I don't think I see them losing back-to-back years to Barcelona with guys like Vinny on their team. Like, I don't think that'd even be acceptable for them. I think this time they're going to go for it because last year I felt like they were still little riding that wave of defending the Champions League trophy. I think that gave them that sort of cushion that they needed to kind of focus on that tournament more going on to the semifinals and not really feeling that pressure needing to win that Liga. But this time around, seeing Barcelona lift the trophy this past year in a time that I thought Real Madrid would dominate for five years straight, I think Real Madrid will get back to their winning ways and find a way to dismantle this Barcelona team right now. Yeah, I'm so close to picking Madrid as title winners for La Liga. I'm so close. But just the fact that they don't have a nine really makes me want to pick Barcelona because Barcelona's midfield, I think, is elite within this context of Spain. Their defensive line is, you know, good enough. Ter Stegen's probably one of the best keepers in the league. Definitely better than Lunin, probably better than Kepa if he ends up playing. And then up top, you still have good, good players, man. You, you really do. So I just think, not that Barcelona is the better team, but I think they're just a little bit more established. And the fact that they won it last year, I think they can do it again. But I think it's going to be tighter than last year. Because, dude, by December, it was over. Like, last year, by December, yeah, Barcelona yeah. had won it. They had a 10-point lead. Madrid and Atletico were so far behind, it was done. But I think it's going to be a lot tighter this year. But I think I'm going to give the edge to Barcelona. Just, just, just by a little. They do have great defense. I just don't trust them to score as much as Real Madrid, honestly. I think, I feel like there's been a lot of games. Even today, I was checking the scoreline. It was like 60 minutes in, still 0-0. Ultimately, they broke the deadlock. But I think they're going to find themselves with a lot of matches where it was 0-0, just like last year. And Lewandowski was actually in really good form. He was still able to provide those True. numbers. This time around, he's slightly declining. Overall, in the wing positions, I see a lot of indecision. Is Yamal going to be that guy? Mm-hmm. Is Ansu Fati going to step up? Where's Ferran Torres in this conversation? Losing Usman Dembele as well. Right. What are they going to go with? How are they going to figure out how to consistently get goals in this league? I think I trust Real Madrid a little bit more right now in terms of the league. I don't trust them in the Champions League, but... In the league, in La Liga, I do think they end up winning because of that reason. So Barcelona, I think I do, th- I do like the prospect of how close both these teams are because they're both yeah. very unsure of themselves right now, yeah. and it's not something we usually see from these two massive, massive clubs. Let's talk about the team that, if Give and Go could sponsor them, they would. About the team that represents us mm-hmm. at the club level. About the team that's like a bright light in what is the dark. Abyss of world football. <laughs> Let's talk about Brighton. Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> I love this team, man. Yeah, man. I love this team. Thumping wolves, putting them on a leash, tying them up to a tree. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Hanging them up. Fuck, man. Wolf hunting, bro. They went hunting for wolves, and boy, did they eat good, Oof. bro. Winning four goals to one. Let's talk Mitoma. One of the prettiest goals I've ever seen. I'm, I'm talking like ever, man. Every single touch from the moment he grabbed the ball at halfway was perfect. Yeah. Inch perfect. An incredible display of 
agility, speed, ball control, handles, a little bit of flair and filth, and then the finish to boot. What a goal bro, from Mitoma, bro. Oh my God. True genius is when you can make complex things look simple. And if you just watch that highlight, yeah. it can look so easy to you. Oh, he just outran four guys and he dribbled past them and finished. No, 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 no. <laughs> no Do dude. not trick yourself into believing that, my friend, because this was a true display of class and genius unlike no other. Mitoma is absolutely going to be that guy. He already proved that last season without incredible of a year he had. But to start it off like this, dude, he's ascended. Mitoma is a new man now. He blew past those defenders like they weren't even there, dude. And the finish was so clean and so smooth. The goal of the year so far in the Prem from what we've seen two weeks in. And he kind of just represents the energy, the self-belief, and the chemistry that this Brighton team team has as a whole bro because every single one of these players we were talking about it is on the exact same page they play like one unit like one living organism yeah. and they work together to thrive and to do it against this wolf team which i still currently believe easy will be relegated easy. this year bro you see everton today i was gonna say though i was gonna say though <laughs> everton is looking like a true contender they look like they cannot be stopped this year bro yeah, yeah, because yeah. the relegation battle is coming for them and everton good lord they look awful man solid championship side yeah i think i made, made a side. massive mistake in thinking they'd be able to just survive relegation they're getting relegated bro alongside wolves and luton Sheffield's staying up, I guess. <laughs> I'd actually be okay with that. I, I could see that, maybe. This Wolves team is so bad, dude. Despite the names that they have, the players, the talent, I just think they lack so much cohesiveness, so oh, much yeah. so much team unity, the complete opposite of what this Brighton team team represents, dude. And we saw it, man, 4-1. I mean, Sully March looking incredible. Julio Enciso, probably one of my top five favorite players in the Prem right now. So accurate with his passing and his setups of his teammates. Getting two assists in this match as well. Brighton is off to an incredible start. Leading the table so far after two games. The Zerbi looking like a genius. Mm. All in all, I'm so happy to see Brighton just pick up where they left off. Despite the fact that they lost two of their most important players this year. Three if you count Trossard at the, 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 at yeah. the halfway point of last Sanchez season. Sanchez too if you want to make it four. Sanchez, make it four. Make it four, bro. Oh my God. Yeah, no, this Brighton team... Makes me so happy to realize that it really isn't about the players. It's it's about the style. And every single player that's a part of this Brighton system knows the identity that they're a part of. And they implement it fully when they're out on that pitch. There's no compromise in how they play. It's an emphasis on passing. An emphasis on teamwork. And then when you have players who dive into the technicalities of the game like Mitoma, man, then you get products like this, where Brighton, no matter what, no matter what the pieces that they lose, the identity remains the same. And it's so good to see, man, because usually, usually a team's identity is kind of stored in players. Yes, That's what's crazy. That's what's crazy this. about this, bro. So even though they lost four starters, the identity has remained intact. And if anything, it's just gone into players like Enciso and Mitoma even more so. Beautiful to see Welbeck still playing incredibly Welbeck, well. Yeah. Solely March, as you already mm -hmm. said, getting better every single year. This Brighton team is truly an anomaly. And the reason why I watch football in general, like a team like this, not just Brighton specifically, but when a team can become this, 
it's why I still watch football. But it's crazy because it shouldn't be like this. It should be. It should not be achievable, bro. Because think about it. Like, like a, a proper analogy would be: imagine I leave this podcast, the Give and Go, right. and I get replaced with a dude with an equally receding hairline and the equally fucking passionate. And his name is Redoso. Yeah, <laughs> but he keeps the show at the same level, bro. He like steps in. He actually does a great job. Right. Whereas normally it'd probably be some guy that steps in the joke and the show drops in quality. That's what's crazy about Brighton is that no matter who plays, who puts on that jersey, it's something beyond the name on the back of the jersey, bro. It's more about the team. It's more about what's said in the locker room, about what the coach is doing for them. And so I just think they knocked it out of the park with signing the Zedby to be the head coach. Dude. That was an incredible fucking hiring. I can't believe it worked out this well post-Graham Potter. And to just see them continue to do this blows my mind every single week. And I'm gonna get I mean, I'm gonna enjoy having my mind blown every single week from here on out by this Brighton team because Maybe they compete for top four, bro. Maybe. I I hope so, man. They've been flirting with it. I see the last two seasons, you know, they'll go on these crazy runs, whether it's at the beginning or middle of the season where they're, you know, they're like top six, you know, and they're right outside that top four. But for them to actually compete for top four would be ridiculous mm -hmm. considering they lost four starters. I, I just don't even know if that's possible. But if they get even remotely close, my God, they'd have to go down as one of the most like, well-crafted or well-thought-out clubs, like, ever. Yeah. Like, to, the fact that they've been able to maintain this level of play is just astounding, bro. It, it yeah. doesn't honestly make sense. The last game I want to talk about is a team that has not been well-thought-out, that has not been planning their decisions very well, that has been very questionable in the transfer market, and a team that I tried to warn you about, bro. Mm -hmm. I tried to tell you that their signings were not going to be good this year, that I was questionable, that I was hesitant as to what they were doing this summer. That team is Manchester United, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Manchester United so far off to a very, very disappointing start. Losing to a very fiery Tottenham side that beat them 2-0 at home. Mason Mount. 15 passes completed in 75 minutes. 15 passes, bro. 15 passes, bro. I think he's out of position, though. I, I don't think well, he's... Well, yes, of course he is. But there's a, my whole point is that I don't think there is a position for him at Manchester United. Right. They didn't no, need yeah, I, this. They didn't need him, bro. I agree with that. I'm not disagreeing with that. Yeah, okay. He seems like you're defending him like he's your boy or something, no, no, bro. No, no, I'm just saying, of course, he's going to play bad if he's not accustomed or even comfortable in the system. Yeah, but that, I agree. I agree. That's the thing. that I feel like that was kind of my... That was my reason for being hesitant prior to, to the season starting him being signed is that I don't think I ultimately see him as the move to have been made for Manchester United, especially at what, a 60 million euro price tag oh, to that, spend that much amount of money on a guy that truly isn't even needed in this midfield. They try to put him in that defensive midfield pivot alongside Casemiro, which has never been his position. I think Mason Mount thrives when he's in a more attacking type of role in which he can feed, which he can distribute, and can even score goals, as we saw in his best season with Chelsea. What he's doing right now is just not productive towards a team success or even himself, man, because he went off the pitch angry at himself. Like, he he just couldn't figure out the puzzle that was being thrown at him. And it makes sense, man. They're asking him to do they're asking him to do something that he cannot do. And on the flip side, a guy like Basuma absolutely cooked him, bro. Rinsed him for 75 minutes straight and played like the Basuma that we once saw at Brighton, yeah. but then got thrown into the dungeon by Conte for a whole year straight. Man comes out of that dungeon and balled out on this Manchester United team, bro. I'm so happy that Bisuma's back. 
Because I was honestly shocked that he couldn't get into this Tottenham side, like, at all. Like, we didn't see him. Nope. We haven't seen him in a long time. The fact that he's taking this opportunity under Postacoglu, it's so good to see. But then when you look at the contrast in a player like Mount, yeah, it's poor for Manchester United. Poor because... (laughs) Why would you get a player like this? Why? I just don't get it, It it doesn't make any sense, but... It, it is it is why I don't have United going for the title, like, even remotely. Because even they're signing, like, Hoyland, even though, yes, he's injured. Yeah. He's 20. What's he going to do? Yeah. Come into the Prem and score 20 goals? Yeah. There's no way. There's absolutely no way, especially since he didn't do the same thing in Italy. There's absolutely no way. So United really wasted a lot of money if they were trying to win the title this year or next. But that's the thing. That's why I'm not really bothered by this because I think United are, have set themselves up for top five, top four, max finish, bro. Like, they're not going to go for the title. Yeah. That's guaranteed. For sure. But you're saying, what, they're going to finish like eighth, seventh? Well, my whole, my whole take on it was that they're not making top four. Right. I don't think this is a top four team. And, I, never, and I never think they do, but they always are. You put them in fourth knowing your Premier League predictions, yeah? Because of that. Yeah. I never think they are, but they always pull it off. But, uh, obviously, it's early. It's early. It's very early. Mm-hmm. But the signs that I'm seeing right now, how Ten Hag has approached this team so far, the same starting lineup back-to-back times, I don't know if I see so far the remedies for how this team ends up becoming a top-four side. I think they're becoming a little too predictable. Guys like Anthony isn't really as clinical as he was advertised to be at one point. Yeah, true. Rashford, unless he gets hot and goes on one of his crazy season runs, doesn't provide much until he does that. And then a kid like Arnacho, who's out there trying to, trying to just trying to do his best. But still, what can you expect out of a 19-year-old kid? Bruno Fernandes is the standout, of course. Every single time, every single season for his, every single season for his Manchester United team has always been so great for them. But... Even what you ask out of him, the responsibility you give him to consistently provide the offensive opportunities that he gives is a lot to ask out of him, man. If he's off for one game, Manchester United doesn't score, bro. And then that <laughs> transcends to the rest of the midfield and the defense. I think overall, this team is kind of losing its flame that it once had at one point when they finished like second in the league. They finished, I think, in what, third last year? Yeah. They're slightly, just slightly ever so declining. And I think this year we're going to see them finally drop out of the top four and have a four team like Newcastle or Brighton step up in their place. Still an early prediction, but so far I'm feeling good about what I thought about this team. Yeah, and you should because both performances have not been promising whatsoever against Wolves and now against Tottenham. I just... I, I don't think I'm going to say anything about United till December. Okay. Yeah, that's going to be my take okay. on this. They've been poor. I agree with you. I can't even argue that. Mount was terrible today. I completely get it. But yeah, I just I don't think I can say anything definitive till December because like you, I've had the same takes for the last five years and they continually finish in the top five. Maybe it ended up being fifth, sixth, and I get that wrong. But the fact that they've kept the core from last year the fact that they've kept the coach from last year, I have somewhat confidence in them repeating the same performance of either third or fourth place. That's my whole basis on it because even though they've had two very poor performances, United somehow, some way, find some sort of consistency whereas teams like Villa, Brighton don't, right? Over the course of a 38-game season. Now, what's interesting is that if last year, if you look at like, United's 10 best games and Brighton's 10 best games, you actually might be able to say that Brighton had the better 10 games. I actually, I completely, I could definitely agree with something like that. But United somehow find a way to be very consistent in the Prem. 
Similar like Manchester City, obviously on very many tiers lower. So that's why I have United still finishing in the top four despite two very abysmal performances. But look, I'll be very open to changing my mind or admitting defeat come like December if this downward trend continues. Now for Tottenham, I think it's very exciting, man. It's very fun. Dude. This team is probably one of the most likable and fun teams to root for that they've had in a good number of years. Do I think they're you know, like a top three, top four side? I don't. I don't think the heights this team can reach are as high as past Tottenham teams that we've seen. But in terms of just what a fan would want out of this squad and how a team plays and the chemistry and the style of play that's being approached, I think Tottenham is onto something really cool here, something yeah. very... Very appealing for once, bro. Especially with a guy like James Madison, who I highlighted in the transfer window market. I absolutely love this signing, bro. I love what he does for this team. I love the responsibility they've given him. So many times I saw him receive the ball in his own third, carry the ball out, get past a guy or two, and then sling the ball out so that he can push the offense forward. And then a guy like Hume Ming Sun receiving the captain's armband. It's nice to see because he really seems to kind of step up to that and be the guy to lead what is a pretty young Tottenham side now. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of different pieces in this team come together to form what I believe to be a very intriguing squad. If you're a Tottenham fan, this must feel like a breath of fresh air for once after seeing how long they committed to the Harry Kane project. Mm -hmm. Harry Kane leaves, goes to Bayern. Now you have a team that's open to any new possibilities, bro. Like a like a dude post-breakup is what this team feels like. And you know, Postiglou is might be that guy, man. That he might guy. be the dude to guide this team into the new era and maybe two three years from now they can compete for a title or be a very very strong team in the prem for now they'll be fun to watch i'm excited for them and i like to see how all these moves have so far paid out tottenham have had two very good performances i know they got a draw i believe in their mm -hmm. first match but i think the identity that postacoglu is creating looks so promising man because i think one word that i'll use and you kind of already alluded to it they seem so much more proactive like whether it's off the ball and they have a very high line, eager to get the ball back. I haven't really seen that from a Tottenham sign. Be that active defensively. And then when you look at the players that they have, you know, Pedro Porro's come into the side last year, cementing himself as a starting right back. And I think having that experience now going into this squad under Postacoglu, I think he has a lot better understanding of the skill that he has at display. He can go up and down that flank. But you can say that about so many other Tottenham players where offensively they look so much more fluid or open to the idea of just being creative and maybe not relying on a player like Kane. So in a weird way, I think Kane's absence has actually opened them up. But what's interesting is that I thought it would do the opposite. I thought it would actually make them kind of close up and not be as creative because they wouldn't have the mentality of like, oh, who do we go to for goals? But, you know, when you honestly look at the squad, they still have Kulusevsky, Richarlison, hopefully can actually find better form than he did last year with Kane's absence. And maybe he's playing more in his position, natural position now with Kane gone. And then you have obviously James Madison right underneath Richarlison. Hyung Min Son, Kulusevsky has already said like, I think there's a lot of creativity and a lot of fluidity that Tottenham now have that maybe they haven't had in years prior. So Tottenham got something interesting going on. I don't think they'll figure it fully out this year, but if they have a good season this year, Postacoglu keeps his job and they get maybe another offensive piece next year. Hey, maybe we're talking Champions League yeah. uh, very yeah. soon. Very soon. I do know for one thing, I, I, I said it in the Premier League uh, predictions. And I'll say it now. They're finishing on top of Chelsea, bro. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is so disappointing for Chelsea, bro. So if you're a true Chelsea fan, man, it's so how, far. How it's early, bro. It's so it's early. So early. And so I love early. getting carried away. But 
<laughs> it's early, bro. It's early, but good Lord, does it look so different. Tottenham, <laughs> Chelsea. All right, I want to do something real quick for the Give and Go boys. Just a little something. What do you got there? <laughs> if you've been following the show, you know that we got... Reynoso the reindeer. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> reindeer. Hey, celebrating my Spain prediction, bro. Hey, yeah, celebrate that shit. And we got El Pulpo, Soltero the Octopus. Holy shit. We can't, man. Reynoso the reindeer, bro. Reynoso the reindeer, man. Coming off my big Spain wins the World Cup prediction. He's, he's two-faced. <laughs> Argentina. <laughs> Atleti. <Yeah. laughs>